Good evening, my friends, and welcome back to another episode of Tear Health with Dr. G. On this great Wednesday, my name is Dr. Mark Gomez, board-certified internal medicine physician practicing at Edward Hospital in Naperville, Illinois. I'm also a member of the American College of Lifestyle Medicine. I am so glad to welcome you guys back to my 93rd episode of Tear Health with Dr. G. It's been an incredible journey. This is the last episode of season three, so you guys are in for a treat. I have two amazing physicians today breaking down a topic that I love, sports, of course. I was a lifelong sports fan growing up. I wanted to play pro sports, but then I had to do and become a doctor, which is really kind of what it worked out to be, so I'm very glad on that one. But sports brings everybody together. But right now we're in the middle of a pandemic. So today's topic on this great discussion is COVID and sports. Again, check me out on my website, www.drmarkgomez.com. We have a treat for you. This is like the questions that I'm getting asked all the time by my patients in my practice. Is my child ready to play sports? Can I play sports? I'm a weekend warrior. When are we going to be the next half marathon, 5K? What's happening in the pros? What's happening at the collegiate level? Just what's happening in general while we're in this pandemic? So I'm so excited to break this down for you tonight on To Your Health with Dr. G. And again, everybody, best thing you could do today for today's conversation is share it. Also, another thing you could do, take notes. As my pastor says, smart people take notes, write things down. Ask questions. We're going to talk to your physician. At the end of the day, your physician wants you to be the best version of yourself and the healthiest version of yourself. Again, we're all about building trust and delivering truth here on To Your Health with Dr. G. So before I get into it, because we're going to get right into this, because there's so much substance I don't want to talk about, I want to hit you with a straight disclaimer. The content of To Your Health with Dr. G is for informational and entertainment purposes only, and that the content is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, and treatment. Further details can be found at www to your help with drg.com slash disclaimer. So here we are today talking sports. We're gonna answer some of your questions. Of course, we're gonna go right into some myths versus facts towards the end. We're gonna get into some frequently asked questions. We're gonna really set the tone here. I wanna get right into it. I wanna introduce my amazing guest today. So my first guest, he's been on To Your Health with Dr. G before, longtime friend, former classmate of mine at Loyola Schmitz University School of Medicine. I wanna welcome back Dr. Matthew R. Schmitz to the show. Let me read his credentials because his credentials run deep. Dr. Matthew R. Schmitz, MD, FAAOS, FAOA, FAAP. He's a board-certified orthopedic surgeon, chair Department of Orthopedics, chief Young Adult Hip Preservation Service, chief pediatric orthopedics and adolescent sports medicine at San Antonio Military Medical Center, associate professor at Uniform Services University of the Health Sciences, associate professor at Baylor University Clinical Orthopedics, team physician, U.S. National Rugby Team. Follow him on Twitter at RugbyMD. Follow him also on Facebook at Schmitz Hip Surgery. Dr. Schmitz, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure to be here today. Hey, Dr. Smith, it's awesome seeing you again. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell us where you're from. I already leaked, leaked, leaked the news that we went to medical school together. Tell us about where you did your residency and further training. Yeah, so after medical school, I came down to San Antonio and did my, my residency in orthopedic surgery at uh, Wolford Hall, now SAMC, San Antonio Military Medical Center. I did a fellowship in San Diego in adolescent sports medicine. And I've been back here in San Antonio for the last eight years, helping, helping run the department down here. So excited to talk about this important topic, ranging from, you know, adolescent sports all the way up to the professional grade sports and, and interested and, and happy to be here. Wonderful. Well, thank you, Dr. Schmitz. So I want to introduce my next guest. His credentials are fierce. Oh, my gosh. Both these gentlemen today. <laughs> amazing, just amazing clinicians that are at the top of their games. They're well-known in the sporting community. And again, I want to pick their brand. I want to introduce my next guest. He is amazing too, as well. Let me read his credentials. Dr. John M. Tokish. 
Dr. Tokish is a board-certified orthopedic surgeon. He's senior associate consultant, professor of orthopedic surgery, orthopedic sports medicine, orthopedic surgeon for the Arizona Coyotes in the National Hockey League, director of orthopedic sports medicine fellowship at Mayo Clinic, Arizona. Dr. Tokish, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks very much for having me. It should be a fun, fun ride tonight and a really interesting and timely discussion. Excellent. Dr. Tokas, tell us where you went to medical school, where you're from, medical school, residency, fellowship. Give us your credentials. Yeah, I, I, was, uh, I was all over the place. I was born in the Philippines and then uh, grew up on Guam, little island in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. Um, uh, then came back to Seattle, which is where we call home. So did high school. Then I, I was at the Air Force Academy for uh, undergrad, went back for medical school, the University of Washington in Seattle, and residency here in Arizona, where I met my wife and uh, and uh, then we went up to the Stephen Hawkins Clinic in Vail, uh, did my fellowship with Steady and Hawk up there, and then went back to the Air Force Academy where I was uh, uh, chief of sports medicine there for about a decade. Then went out to Hawaii, out to uh, Tripler Army Medical Center where I was a residency program director for a number of years out there. And then out to join Dr. Hawkins uh, to, to see him through the last few years of his uh, career before he retired. So I was the fellowship director there at uh, Stephen Hawkins Clinic of the Carolinas. And then about three years ago, uh, came back uh, home. My wife's from Scottsdale, Arizona. So good chance to come home and join the Mayo Clinic here. Wonderful. Well, Dr. Tokish, it's awesome having you on my show. I cannot wait to get very granular with you. Why not? I love that word. So there you have it, guys. You've met my amazing guest today. And we're going to talk about it to you. This show is for you. Again, every show of To Your Health with Dr. G has always been for you. It's about you and making sure your health is there, making sure your health gets better, and making sure that you live life to the best of your ability. So we're going to get right into it. This is a hot topic. We're seeing a lot of stuff in the news. We're seeing stuff in the media. We're seeing stuff in social media. You know, we're all talking sports. So I'm going to get right into it. Here's the deal. We know that obviously we are still mired in the middle of a pandemic. Right now, we're talking about opening things up, including sports. You know, sports brings everything together. So let's ask this question. The question of the hour, aka the chief complaint. The chief complaint, of course, is when people come to our office, they have a medical reason why they're there. We call it the chief complaint. And the chief complaint today is, what does the new normal look like in sports? I'll ask the first question to Dr. Schmitz. Dr. Schmitz, here's a question. Will sports ever return to the way that we once knew it, or will we need to adjust to this new normal? I think that in the short term, we're gonna to have to make some adjustments to the new normal until there's a vaccine where we can truly go back to the way that, that we used to be. But I like to think of sport as a microcosm of life. And right now we're all making adjustments in our life. So in the near term, until there's a vaccine, there's gonna to have to be adjustment in sport, not only playing, but also um, uh, watching sports as well. Dr. Tokas, what's your take on that one? Is, you know, would you concur with Dr. Schmitz that, that really we have to just kind of just kind of weather the storm, so to speak, regarding yeah, sports? I think the key word is flexibility, right? Because we, we honestly don't, we have no idea. You know, you, you, we went through the March and April where everything was shut down, and then we had a very aggressive and very exciting uh, uh, thought about reopening, right, with, uh, with baseball reopening and everything else. And at one point where I am in Arizona where Cactus League spring training happens, right, we thought, we thought, shoot, this would be a great place to house as a hub city and, and just bring Major League Baseball to this city and a few others. And, and as of today, Arizona has got set another record with most corona cases. So we're on this, if you will, the second wave, but really it's the beginning of our first wave up. And so I think we continue to learn lessons. And I think anybody that thinks they know what's going to happen with this, I think, is, is going to be proven wrong. And I think we have to be flexible and, and adaptable to, uh, to uh, the changing sort of dynamic of this virus and this pandemic. And, and keep patient care at the forefront of, uh, of what our goals are. 
I love how you said patient care, and that's where what comes down to us as physicians, as a group here collectively tonight, that has always been our motto to make sure that our patients have the best. Right now, of course, as we're sitting here in this pandemic, you know, the emotions that we go through, the reality is this, you know, our emotions during this time are normal responses to an abnormal circumstance. And when we think about sports, sports is kind of our way out. As, as Dr. Schmidt said a few moments ago, sports is like, it's like a life. And you know, when you look at athletes, say for example, athletes, they can't, if they can't do their sport, you know, they can't really feel well and life may be fulfilled. That's fulfillment factors there, but that is their identity, their essence. So let me ask this question to Dr. Schmitz. Um, you know, as sports are starting to, to move forward, you know, how are we going to avoid hopefully having a setback because there's all this momentum now to do it, but what happens if all of a sudden we can pump the brakes again and, and go from there? Yeah, I mean, so what it comes down to is being able to test the athletes and identify those that have been, uh, that are potentially um, positive and then trace their contacts and try and isolate them. And so you're seeing this in a number of sports right now. Golf recently has opened with no spectators and they've, had, they've run two tournaments. In the second tournament, one of the golfers came up positive uh, this weekend's tournament, one of the caddies was positive, and so they've gone back to see who that who that caddy interacted with, and our and players are pulling out of the tournament for fear that they may show signs down the road. We know it takes between 10 and 14 days after exposure before typically you start to show symptoms, and so um, it, it's going to require that contact tracing, and, and the leagues at all different levels are going to have to be very vigilant at trying to identify those players and isolate them so that it doesn't run through an entire team or league. You know, Dr. Tokas, you work, you're, you're a team physician for the Arizona Coyotes and National Hockey League, and so I'm sure that you're privy to some of the, the planning, you know, that we always say this in times of a, of a pandemic, you know, preparedness is appropriate, panic is not. How are you guys preparing at the, at the pro level uh, for the reality that we're facing? Yeah, it's tricky. I think, um, you know, these, the, they're, everybody would say, or, or it's easy to say, well, just shut it down. Let's socially isolate and, and sports should take a back seat. And, and in many respects, right, we get that. But there's another side to that. I mean, these, there's, we have stadium workers who, uh, who cook and clean the stadiums and an entire staff of people whose livelihoods are dependent upon these home games, right? Not, it's not just the, the highly paid athlete. There's a, there's a whole social infrastructure and an economic infrastructure that goes along. Our, our owner, uh, Alex Morello, is a, a, a really, really forward-thinking and generous guy, and, he's, and he, he's been very, very proactive in trying to keep um, his employees and the employees with our arena kind of up and going and whole, if you will, over the course of this time. So I, I, think, I think people, sometimes we think, oh, it's just pro athletes, just you know, tell them to settle down and we'll, we'll pick it up again next year, but and that, that, that affects a ton. So you're right. We, as we uh, get forward, forward with uh, the NHL, and this is true, um, uh, our practice also, uh, my partner looks after our, our Major League Baseball team here as the primary care sports medicine physician, and we've, we've got close ties in the community here. And so everybody's taking a similar approach, right? It's, it's a tiered approach. Uh, it's a it's an approach that that player safety and testing becomes sort of paramount, and then there's sort of going to be a gradual return. And provided you know phase one goes okay, then phase two goes okay, then then pretty soon we start getting into groups. Right now, hockey is in phase two, and so what that means is uh, is that players can can join us voluntarily 
only in groups of six. They can have no contact with each other. It's only individual ice. There can be one coach on the ice at one time. Even the weight room, right? They come off the ice in a group of six and they have to maintain social distancing in our weight room. We've got our trainers following them around. Every time they use a bench, it has to be wiped down. So there's incredible amounts of precautions that many of us would have uh, you know, would have thought no way would this ever happen. And that's become, if you will, the new normal for us. And so, so far, so good. And then, you know, the other thing is the testing protocol. So I don't know if you guys have been tested, but um, the NHL now has us test uh, mandatory twice a week. And so, as you know, that swab isn't exactly comfortable. So as they're tickling the back of your brain there, the first yes. time it's novel, but after a while, you're like, man, that's, that's a lot of testing after, you know, every other or every three, four days, we're getting tested with this kind of going forward. So there's a testing commitment to it. And then what do you do? And, and, and what do you do if you've got a guy who becomes positive, right? So if you get a guy who becomes positive, that's easy enough. That positive guy gets taken out. What do you do with the person who is asymptomatic and is a contact to that positive? Do they get quarantined? Is it 14 days? Do they have to test again? How, so there's a thousand details. And I will say I've really been proud of our staff, our head trainer, Dave Zanobi, uh, and, and the staff of medical guys with the Coyotes has just put in a mountain of work on thinking through all the different possibilities. Wow, that is awesome. I mean, you're, you're right, the, the planning aspect, and I think this is the time and face of this pandemic, we've seen so much, uh, human, some brain power, some collective, some open mind, some planning, and again, planning is everything. What we do during a pandemic uh, right now will seem inadequate, you know, at the end of the pandemic, it's, I mean, right now we got to do it right now, but at the end, we have to make sure we're not seeing things as inadequate, but this is so paramount. It's interesting, as you, as you guys mentioned, both at the pro level, you know, a lot of the questions, of course, how do you feed things from the pro level down through the college ranks, the high school ranks, the youth ranks? I'm going to ask that question to Dr. Dr. Schmitz first. What can we take from the pros where they have resources that do a lot of the, that testing and, and bring it down through college? And I'll Dr. Tokish coming on this one, too. But bring it down from pros to college to high school to youth. How are we sharing things? What's different? Where are the barriers? Because we obviously the barriers can be certainly the, 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 the resources and the finances. Yeah, that, that's totally right. You know, the, the, the pros have, you know, exceptional resources. Uh, even your big, your power five conferences and collegiate have significant resources as well. And so I, I group those two together. Uh, and then some of your national teams go with them. But as you get into high school and youth sport, those resources aren't the same. But at the same time, we have to remember that, that at the collegiate level and the pro level, those, those teams are living together. They are spending hours and hours together. Whereas at the youth level, there's an hour of training a couple of times a week. And so they're not spending 15 hours eating three meals a day together like, like you would at the collegiate level or at the, at the pro level. So they have a lot more exposure to each other. And so I do think that and a lot more potential to uh, expose each other. Uh, and so, you know, those resources aren't there on the youth level, but I think there are some things, some, some basic principles that we can take into place. For example, like Dr. Tokish was talking about is wiping down the weight room, uh, social distancing in the weight room. So instead of having an entire football team training in the weight room, breaking it up into groups of smaller groups of position players weightlifting together and then having your staff wipe it down. So that's one of the important things that we can that we can take. Not having large groups in a classroom together, rather breaking it down by position or doing virtual virtual uh, team meetings, which you're seeing a lot of the professional teams do in the NFL, et cetera, right now. Dr. Tokish, if you're if, if a patient comes in, you know, maybe it's a parent comes in to see you and their child is an athlete, uh, and maybe even a really good athlete. 
you know, what kind of advice are you telling the parents, you know, obviously you're having a conversation with the child, with a, you know, the teenager, for example, but what are we telling the parents to, to reassure them? How do we help them with their teenagers to cope through this? Yeah, like you guys, I, uh, the opinions on COVID run the entire spectrum. So many of the young athletes think this is a complete waste of their time. You know what I'm saying? This is not a disease that's really affecting young people in spite of the fact that there's a few reports out there, right? And so if you're a young athlete and, um, and you're chasing a college scholarship or you think you might have a chance to play at that next level, the idea of you getting shut down um, and, and when we sit down and talk to patients and their families about, listen, this is, this, you could get sick and everything else, and they look around and say, this doesn't affect me. And, and, and this is costing me stuff. I'll give you a great example. A good friend of mine has a, has a youngster, uh, his, his son, who was a senior 2020. And the uh, kid's about a 92-mile-an-hour fastball player and a legit Power 5 conference player, outside shot of the draft. And if he grows a little bit like his daddy, he'll, be, he'll have a great chance at playing at the next level. Well, as you guys know, they canceled baseball season this year. And the NCAA, I think correctly, gave those kids that are there another year of eligibility. So what that does is it piles on, right? Because the seniors don't graduate, so the freshmen don't move up. So the, so the senior in high school this year, that class of 2020, those kids are out of luck, right? Because there's no scholarship openings for them to be able to go to the next level. How do you deal with that if you're a young person and you've spent every waking hour in hot pursuit? Now, many, many wouldn't get to that next level anyway, but those that can or those that had a chance to, that's really tough. And then, of course, that, that happens at the pro level as well as everything's kind of on hold, um, you know, whether the market lives or dies, and those things are really tough. I think the parents are generally uh, a lot more receptive to, to patient care and health first, right? Um, you know, unfortunately, not very many of these kids come in with real aspirations and the real talent to play at that next level. But sometimes, you know, Johnny's little all-star daddy and mommy think they do. And so they come in and say, we, you know, we, we, we are still working with our coaches. And it's really difficult to get across to them just how important and how seriously they need to take it. Fortunately for us, we've got some, uh, some great leadership in the community at the pro level who have made public service announcements to kind of come forward and take the lead to say, you know, listen, if you're a young hockey player, here's, here's two members of the Coyotes, and this is the social distancing that they're practicing, and we're in, a, you know, we're in the playoffs. So if it's important enough for them to do it, then, then you guys should follow suit, and hopefully that's having an impact in the community. Uh, I love how you, how you mentioned, you know, role models, and, and we're talking about, you know, paying it forward, and certainly to the next generation of athletes out there. That is a great example of, of athletes, you know, people that are role models and these kids look up to that they're doing, they're seeing the behavior, you know, kids are certainly very perceptive. It's even like a few weeks ago, we did a show with the mental health and we said, all right, if adults can't keep their emotions in check, it's going to be very hard for kids to keep their emotions in check. You give a great example right there. Let me ask this question to Dr. To Dr. Dr. Schmitz and I'm going to kind of tee it up. Last week, the famous Dr. Anthony Fauci, director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, cast doubt on football returning in 2020 without having all teams report to one solitary location. He said, quote, unless players are essentially in a bubble, insulated from the community and they are tested every day, it will be very hard to see how football is able to be played this fall. What's your take on that? I'm, and by the way, I'm a Chicago Bears fan. I'm throwing it out there, everybody out there. Oh, you know, our oh, team could be rough. better, but that's all in the story. Just close that up front. I know, I know, my bad. <laughs> so full disclosure, I'm a, I'm a Denver Broncos fan growing up. Grew up that is true games and a huge nfl fan and and i share some of dr fauci's concerns 
you know, if you look at what the, what the, the MBA is doing is they're essentially trying to do that experiment where they bring them down to a central location as a bubble, because what you can't control is how those um, players are interacting. And, and again, like we talked about, once one person gets positive in a contact sport, any contact sport, whether it be basketball, hockey, football, there are going to be exposures through practice and through games. And so I, I do have a concern about that, both on the player side, but then also what is it going to look like on the fan side as well? You know, English Premier Soccer is, is currently going on with no fans in the stadium. Uh, I talked with one of the athletic directors from my alma mater last night who was hopeful that if they did in-person games this this fall, that it would be at 30% capacity. Because because if you get 50,000 people together, uh, that runs the risk of, of huge exposure. Now, on the other end of the spectrum, New Zealand has essentially contained and eliminated COVID. They, they've had a number of weeks without any new, t new positive patients. And so Super Rugby, which usually runs between New Zealand, Australia, uh, and uh, South Africa, just the New Zealand teams are playing each other in front of 40,000 people. Uh, and, and, you know, it's made a magnificent comeback. But that's because they were able to, it's, a, it's an island country, they were able to eliminate the disease from their from their uh, borders. So, you know, I do share the same concerns that Dr. Fauci is having, because right now, as we're seeing uh, in Dr. Tokesh's area in Arizona, as we're seeing here in San Antonio, Texas, we're having record number of cases that seem to correlate perfectly with two year, two weeks ago, opening up the economy and people being out and about. Wow. I mean, there's a great perspective on that one. It, it really underscores the fact that, you know, we still have to get a handle on this. Especially as you mentioned, I love that example from New Zealand, that they're actually playing sports at a high level of intercompetition. They haven't gone abroad, but intercompetition amongst, amongst teams in the country themselves. And they've actually been able to still keep the cases, caseloads down to essentially zero. You know, we've got some work to do in this country, of course, on things. You know, Dr. Tokas, what's your take on, on, the, on Dr. Fauci? Is he saying the right thing that, you know, unless people are in a bubble, uh, and certainly we think about the adult population, a little bit of older, you know, think about pro athletes, you know, 20s to 30s kind of thing, so they get a little more, little more risk as you get a little bit older. But um, is that the kind of way through this thing? Yeah, I think I think Fauci has been an exemplary example of of what uh, what he his role should be, right? So he doesn't have the entire perspective of the country, so he doesn't see it from the same perspective. But he's been careful, I think, to sort of uh, disclose that we have to have somebody who speaks as the physician, right? And he's become the figurehead speaker from the physician standpoint, and it's it's hard to argue from from a physician standpoint to take healthcare and everything else for him uh football has to be secondary uh, matt and i share a, a great love of, of collegiate and nfl sports as so many physicians do around the country and sports medicine doctors do right uh, none of us want to see an empty fall i don't, I don't know what i'm going to do with myself i don't watch those seahawks play but uh that being said I, you know uh, I think Fauci's. I think Fauci's been right. You know, the Pac-12 here is. Uh, they're considering a, a number of different possibilities, even playing spring football. So and canceling it for the fall, right? And then uh, and then coming back and playing spring, and then doing two seasons, one spring and one fall, to get kind of caught back up. Again, it's a balance, right? If you cancel football, you're gonna you're gonna bankrupt many athletic departments around the country. And so that's, a, that's a, another one of those sort of balanced decisions. And you look at it and you say, well, we, we could play football. This is not likely to get sick, right? Why did we flatten the curve, if you will, 
One argument is that we flattened the curve to make sure that we didn't overwhelm our healthcare resources. Well, the country mobilized very well and we have ventilators and it doesn't look like we're gonna be overwhelmed from that standpoint. We have the ability to ship those thanks to the federal government's, you know, sort of ramping up that stuff. So so if we're not gonna do that, then then is can we go out and do it? And you'd say, well, the young people are at very low risk to have serious uh, illness from this. But unfortunately, they live with older folks and they live with folks who are uh, immunocompromised. And so it becomes a it becomes a, a balancing game and question. I, I, Matt and I, as guests, I think are, are we share a, a, an example of uh, both of us having been served in the military. Right. And so we were around right after 9-11. Both of us have deployed. And I think uh, there's some there's some I think a lot about it. You know, when we first went out uh, to after 9-11 out to the Middle East, we we had no idea how this was gonna work, what it looked like, uh, how to best defend and, and, and look after our soldiers and sailors, airmen and Marines out there. And I think we learned a bunch of lessons early. And one of the lessons was, was not to be too dogmatic about or be too judgmental about everybody. They, we should take it for, for granted that everybody is trying and there's gonna be mistakes made and you admit those and, and you say, yep, that one didn't work and let's move on to a new thing and always erring to the side of caution. I, the only thing that troubles me a bit about this whole thing is, is sometimes we get a little finger pointy a little bit on both sides of the political spectrum about you know, scoring points as opposed to saying, listen, this is a unprecedented thing. Yes. We're gonna make some mistakes. Let's do what's in the best interest of our patients and, and, if, and if we have to reverse course on this, it's okay. If, if Arizona opened up early, right, which we, we did two, three weeks ago, and, and everybody was in favor of that, very, very popular decision because of the economy. Well, here we are today, and my hospital is 85% capacity today. Mm. And so now we're looking and saying, oh, we, we, we came out and we, we are going to have to consider canceling elective cases again and take a step back. That's not a loss. That's not something that should be ridiculed or judged. That's just adapting to the to the you know what the defense has given us now. No, I like that. Yeah, I mean, let me go ahead, Matt. Let me chime in real quick. I think JT hits it on the head. Is that there are going to be mistakes, and it's it's important that we learn from the mistakes. That's you know the biggest areas of growth in orthopedics that come through times of war about learning what we did wrong and adapting and changing and learning how to do it right. And I think the same thing is going to come from this as well, is we got to make sure that we make note of what, what we do that doesn't turn out well, change yeah. direction, and then do it well. I think, uh, you know, I was talking about the novelty of this whole thing. Again, this is called the novel coronavirus for a reason. We've never seen it before. Uh, and I do think that we know better how to attack this thing, uh, certainly now that we did 130 days ago when, when case one was here in the USA. Let me ask you guys this question. I want to switch up the topics a little bit because I get asked this question quite a bit about COVID and sports risk. So I'm gonna, what I'm going to do is I'm going to say the sport, and then I want you guys to chime in on what is the risk. We know the CDC has put out some guidelines out there where they kind of categorize risk as far as low, medium, high, things like that, intermediate kind of thing. Um, so I'm going to say the sport. And then I want you guys to say, what do you think the risk is for COVID exposure? Just a general thing on that. All right, so here we go. Dr. Tokas, I'm going to say the first sport for you. All right, competitive swimming. What's your take on that? Risk or no risk or high risk, low yeah. risk? Yeah, I, th I think the risk, is, uh, the risk is there. It's not contact, so that's good. But you have to think, you know, if you're training, are you training in the same shower area? Are you using the same pool as the next person? Are you um, uh, using the same soap? 
Uh, we talked a little bit about the coyotes preparations. You can't even have community soap anymore. We got to bring in individual little bottles so nobody touches anything. So swimming, I would say, is a little bit of a less risky sport than some of the others, say, contact sports. But but it's not necessarily the, always just the activity. It's how they get in the pool, how they're transported, who's feeding them, are they eating the same things? All those other things have to uh, come into play. Excellent. Here we go. I got this one for you, Dr. Schmitz. Here's the next one. Wrestling. What's your take on uh, risk there? I think wrestling is the highest risk for any disease transmission. <laughs> so I. <laughs> I, I, know J, I know JT's taking care of wrestlers when he was at the Air Force Academy, um, but th that is as much contact as you can get, and they're sharing everything. So that's a high risk. All right. Here we go. Next one here, Dr. Tokish. Here we go. Risk in gymnastics. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you gave him wrestling. So gymnastics, right? The, the challenge is, is that, is that you've got the same uh, equipment and the same apparatus that, that uh, both men and women are using. So the mats, the pommel horse, the rings, the bars, all those are constantly used for reps, just not only in, in competition, but in practice as well. So I would put that at a medium risk. And, and really, it's going to be one of those where you're going to have to do really, really aggressive sanitation between each time and each routine that somebody comes through. And then obviously, you know, depending on what the team is doing, are they living together, et cetera, and all the social distancing that goes along with that. Wonderful. And I have to say, full disclosure, I have an eight-year-old daughter who is a competitive gymnast. They just started back up uh, June 1st. And, uh, and it's very interesting uh, talking with her and seeing what, the, what her gym has laid out. But, uh, but it's very interesting. But we've had to make that decision. And so many people out there have to make the decisions for their children um, to see if they want to still compete. But right now, the Gomez household has said yes on gymnastics, but yeah. they're in a very small cohort and we're, we're stressing sanitation. Here we go. Next one here, Dr. Schmitz. Here we go. Baseball. What's your take? Risk. I think that I think at the youth level, baseball is a little bit is a moderate. I think as you get to the pros, it becomes a little bit moderate to high. And again, because it, it, it depends on who's using their own equipment versus someone else's equipment. I talked to someone in Denver yesterday who says that they're starting youth baseball. And really, the only change is there's no high fives at the end of the game. I'm not sure that eliminates all the risk, but you got to make sure that the kids are using only their own equipment, not sharing bats, not sharing uh, mitts and things like that. Uh, but I think that's probably a moderate risk. All you right, remember when we, we were? You remember when we were kids, Maddie? They'd have they'd have two batting helmets for the whole team, and yeah, you one the guy same gets lice. One guy gets lice. The whole team got lice, right? So, <laughs> yeah, so yeah. share a batting helmet, get COVID. It's going to be tricky. It's we shared everything. I remember those days. Uh, I played. Sure. I played high school baseball at least my freshman year. Then I chose marching band after that. There you go, everybody. That's Dr. G secret. Uh, but yes, that's <laughs> so true. Here we go, Dr. Tokish. I like this one. Cross country. What's the risk there? Cross country. What's your take? Yeah. On yeah. I mean, uh, you, you know, of all the sports, maybe running is, is one that's, uh, that you can be a little bit social distance. They do unfortunately start in packs. So I know there's been some, uh, some uh, suggestion with the AIA here in Arizona, the Interclass, Interscholastic Association about doing cross country if they do it in staggering starts so that they keep social distancing at the beginning, right? And then once you're off, there's no congregating, you're off the course and you're gone. And so it's almost like a time trial in the Tour de France as opposed to being in a peloton. All right. Thank you, Dr. Tuckers. We'll do a couple more of these. Dr. Spence, soccer, what's your take on that risk? I think soccer is a moderate. It's not a contact sport, but it's a lot of close contact. Um, and so I think that's a moderate risk. In, in full disclosure, uh, my daughter is, is back to playing competitive soccer. They started off with, you know, six foot squares and individualized training, and they've kind of ramped up over the past couple of weeks. And now they're going to back it back down because of the cases here. 
Um, so I, I think that we're seeing that was one of the first sports to reopen in, in Europe. So I think that there, there is potential risk there, um, but not as much as your higher uh, contact sports like wrestling and football. All right, we'll do a couple more of these. Dr. Tokas, what's your take on tennis? What's the risk there, you think, for COVID-19? Yeah, I was actually going to say, uh, I think women's soccer is contact. Men's soccer is so much flopping. I'm not sure that's a contact <laughs> sport. But, uh, oh, but it's, I, like, I think it's the, a red the car for flopping. Listen, the women are tough. But, um, <laughs> and, and they have a lot of contact tennis. Uh, you know, as long as you're playing an individual sport on other sides, I mean, that may be the safest of all of them, especially if you're playing outdoors, right? So uh, indoor tennis, and if you're playing on the same team, and again, sharing equipment, but if you're going to do a sport during this COVID time, tennis ain't bad. And in Arizona, pickleball is a like uh, religion here. So pickleball <laughs> is another way that people, especially folks that are a little more seasoned in their age can get out and play. And it's a great way to sort of get outside, breathe some fresh air and stay socially distant. Excellent. We'll do two more of these. Dr. Schmitz, here's the sport. Competitive dance. What's your take on that? What's the risk looking like? I'm going to have to put that one as low. I don't have any real experience with competitive dance, but I, th I think you can appropriately social distance there as long as your choreographer is setting them up six feet apart and they're not sharing any equipment. So I'd put that one at low risk. All right. I think I put that at low risk too. So uh, I like that one, but I don't have much experience in that one, at least advising patients. Here we go. Dr. Tokas, we'll give you the last sport. Here we go. Competitive cheerleading. Yeah, I think actually it's high risk uh, for lots of reasons. You know, cheerleading is not uh, like when maybe when we were kids where you had, you know, six people standing and waving pom-poms and stuff. These kids are ridiculously good athletes, right? And, and they, the formations that they build and the flyers that they do, it's, a, it's almost like team full contact gymnastics at times, right? So you're building pyramids and you've got flyers and you've got stunt routines. There is a ton of contact there. So that one's a high risk. Excellent. Well, there you guys go. Nice COVID in sports. Let's get to the next session here. I'm having a great time with both of you gentlemen. Again, you're joining us here live on Tear Health with Dr. G, episode 93, COVID in sports, breaking it down with two amazing experts, Dr. John M. Tokish, MD, and of course, Dr. Matthew R. Schmitz, MD. So let's keep this going. Let's talk a little bit of college football really quickly because it's been in the news lately. And a lot of things have been in the news. It's like every day we're hearing about an outbreak. Well, let's talk a little bit here. Um, Louisiana State University, uh, 30 of the 115 players are now quarantined because they either tested positive for COVID-19. Last week, Clemson, 23 players tested positive. Um, Dr. Schmitz, do we expect to hear more stories like this? I, I think we do. You know, as, as the schools start to open up, they're bringing back kids that have, are spread across uh, across the country. Very few teams just recruit regionally and they recruit across the country. And so you're getting a whole bunch of kids come from different areas and one might be a hot spot and they can bring it back. And there's two kind of ways to think about this. I talked with the Air Force, you know, JT and I both played football at the Air Force Academy and they, and they have the ability to have a little bit tighter control on their players there being a military academy. And what they're doing there is they're bringing them back and testing them on day one and then cohorting them in groups of 10 to 20 and, and essentially many quarantining them for 14 days and testing them again at the end of that 14 days. Um, that's not necessarily achievable at Notre Dame or LSU. Uh, and so trying to control who comes in, whether or not they bring it in. But then at the same time, these are college kids. Uh, JT hit on it before that they, they think it can affect them. And so what are they doing when they're not practicing? Who are they who are they around and are they bringing that back to the team? So I think it's going to be a real issue uh, as, as different collegiate teams try to try to open up. 
You know, one of the things I, I think about from college is just like, first of all, just the school itself. Does the school have their act together just for the general student body? And then you're looking at sports as well, too. And I know that's a, kind of a lot of the conversation here at the high school level. Can the schools get their act together first to minimize COVID-19 risk and then talk about the athletes? Let me ask you this question, Dr. Dr. Tokish. Let's go right into high school. I want to ask you a few more questions. We're going to get into some frequently asked questions uh, because I think people have, well, they want to pick your brain right now. But just one thing about the high school. You know, the biggest question is, will my kid play sports this year? You know, how are we advising people? Do you think it's more based on what's happening at the state level, regionally? Are we looking at federal guidelines? Are we looking at, you know, adapting, you know, a school district, maybe creating a broad guideline, or sorry, state yeah. school education, making a broad guideline, then saying individual school districts implement? How are we, how are we trying to get through that for yeah, those kids? Yeah, I think one of the things that we've learned with COVID early is that it is a very regional thing, right? When New York came down with it, we all assumed it was, this was the big hit. Arizona was, there was nothing. We watched New York kind of do its thing for a month and a half and we barely had a case. We thought, we wondered if it was the sunshine or if it was missing us, right? But what's become obvious is, is that, is that COVID is a, it's, it's a, it's a local phenomenon. It's a regional phenomenon. And so I think, you know, just like the, um, the state governors are going to have to, um, they're, they're the ones that are really stepping up in their individual places to take a look at their environments. I, my guess is high school sports will follow the same suit. It'll be, it'll be state dependent. And those states that have kind of moved beyond and moved out, probably it's going to be a safe thing for them to do. And those of us that are a little bit later to the party in the West here in California, Arizona, and Texas, it's going to be a little bit tougher to, to justify doing fall sports early. Excellent. Well, thank you, Dr. Tokas, for breaking that down. I know that's a lot of questions out there for, for parents. And, and certainly I would say, again, continue to talk with your districts, talk at the school level. Um, but of course, you, of course we, we entrust our schools to keep our kids safe, not just from just a general standpoint of school, but also even when it comes to extracurricular activities such as sports. So let's get into a couple of frequently asked questions. I'm going to ask this question to Dr. I've wanted to ask you guys this question the whole time, but I'm going to ask you right now, put you guys on the spot. This is a frequently asked question. Here we go. I want you to, to kind of think about your magic eight ball. Do, 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 do. You know, you got it. I want you to be kind of a, a, a fortune teller of things. So here we go. Here's a question. Dr. Schmitz, when do you think COVID-19 will finally go away? And I'll ask Dr. <laughs> Tokish the same thing so you can think about it based off your answer. This is a great question because there's no right answer and you can guess anything and, and someone's going to believe you. Um, you know, I, I think it's going to finally go away when we, when we get a vaccine, whether that's Eight, eight months from now, 18 months from now, but I think you're getting, you know, I, we have some real concerns about as it tags into flu season and what happens there. Um, but I, I think it's still at least probably eight to 12 months away. All right, Dr. Tokas, your take on when we're going to finally see this thing go away. Yeah, I agree. I think the vaccine is, uh, or treatments that are out being pursued right now is, is probably the, the tipping point uh, for everybody. I think that this has scared lots of folks. And so I think even beyond the point where we have a, an effective treatment strategy, it's still gonna be hard for people to kind of socially come back together for a while. Excellent, I agree. And I, I think I went on the record uh, before and I had Dr. Schmitz's wife on my show uh, several, about a month or so ago. And I, and I did go on the record saying, I thought to the end of 2021, but that's me, but we'll see. We need a vaccine, there's no doubt. That's our end game, we're talking about sports. The in game is a vaccine without a doubt. So let me ask this question. I'm going to come back to you, Dr. Tokas, on this one. Let me come back and shoot this one. Um, when do you think fans, you know, we're all fair weather fans. When do you think fans will be able to come back into the stands? And can you break it down maybe from pro to college to youth? What's your take on that? 
Yeah, I think it's going to be uh, I think it's going to be somewhat sports specific. Um, Matt mentioned rugby. You know, Matt was an All American uh, rugby player in college, right? And so, and he's the and he's the team physician for the national team. So, so he knows that culture very well. I, I happened to hear an interview by uh, uh, the Su rugby super league's um, top team just this morning. And he said, you know, while in the U.S., when you talk about professional franchises, it's all TV rights, right? So as long as baseball can or, or NBA can get to Disney and they can get it on TV, they'll, they'll do okay. But, but Super Rugby, for example, and so many of those other sports depend on gate uh, revenue in order to keep them afloat. And they were recommending, even in Christchurch, the biggest Super Rugby team in the, on the planet, they, they don't think they can go much longer than, than this particular season whether the storm folks will go bankrupt so you're going to have to put patient or people back in the seats and allow them if you're going to for many of these sports even survive hockey's a good example of that um other sports you know i've been surprised i'm a huge ufc fan i have a, a number of those athletes that are that are my patients and uh and i so i've been watching the fight nights because as you know they were the first to kind of go back and, and do that and and i thought the fanless arena for ufc was actually for me really awesome as a fan i could hear every punch i could hear the corners right you could hear the guy kind of when he when he when he got hit pretty good you hear the air escaping i thought it was very pure and so i think some of those sports are going to be just fine so people who say you know if we can't bring you know crowds back to whatever i'm not sure i think i think that athletes are athletes and when we watch an athlete get after it I think that uh, that there's ways to make those adjustments. So, uh, fans in the stands, I hope as soon as possible, but it's not worth your health. Hey, I agree with you on that one. Uh, at this point, right now, it's just not. We just don't know yet. It's not safe. But I agree. I will say I have watched some of the UFC fights, and it's actually been a way better experience. I think by hearing everything. Let me ask you, Dr. Schmitz. Here we go. Here's a question: Is a youth sports organization required to have a COVID-19 preparedness plan? What's your take on that? Yeah, I think most of it is driven by the state. And so, for example, in South Texas, the, the soccer, they have a plan and, and, and JT kind of hit on it with some of the uh, hockey stuff at, at, at going in phases. So if there isn't a plan, if there isn't an overarching organization, I would have real caution about letting your kids participate in that because you want to make sure that there's somebody looking out for their best interest and not just some crazed parent that wants to get their kid out there and play. Uh, and so, you know, right now in Texas, we've got we've got different protocols where they're starting practice, where everyone enters through the same gate. They're checked for temperatures. They're um, given hand sanitizer. They're all in mass until they get to their little individual training area. There's no parents allowed around, which is which is correct. So I think there should be that kind of overarching um, uh, governance to kind of to, to again, because like we said, it's a regional problem and things are going to be different here in, in San Antonio than they are in Washington state than they are in North Carolina. Excellent. Dr. Tokas, let me answer this question, then we'll get into some myths versus facts. How do you respect, you know, I think it's just the purity of sport, the competition, and certainly when it comes to contact sports, how do we respect the sport and follow social distancing at the same time? And, you know, how is that going to look? Yeah. Uh, from, a, from a player perspective, I think every player that goes out there is going to assume some risk. Even if you test every day, you don't, you know, you could have contracted the virus seven days ago and you're not completely seroconverted yet, right? You can have the antibodies and there've been cases where there's a different strain of the virus. So at the end of the day, if you're playing, you're, you're risking. And I think that's the first thing that you have to kind of get to come to terms with, right? And then this, then I think though that we have to take a 
um, we have to have leadership out there. As, and this leadership has to come from, you know, the highest levels of professional athletes. I've seen uh, a number of guys in the NBA, actually, they're having their own sort of discussions, right, about yeah. and publicly saying, listen, you know, several of the very high profile players have come out and said, guys, this is not worth it. Others have come out and said, listen, I totally disagree with you. And, and I think both perspectives are valid, right? It's a good discussion. And at the end of the day, I think that what is going to have to happen is each individual, if the sport is allowed to go, each individual athlete is going to have to say, look, I've done everything I can. I'm willing to take the risk because that's where I am with it. And if, the, if it comes back where I get infected, I'm going to take the precautions necessary. It's, it really becomes an, a, one of individual responsibility, and that's okay. Wonderful. Well, thank you for giving me your take on that one. I want to get into a session, section here called Myths versus Facts. We're going to get to this quickly. Uh, I say a statement. I love doing Myths versus Facts every week. It's all about telling the truth, breaking it down. I want to, I'm going to say a statement. And I'm going to have my panel say myth or fact. They're going to tell us why. We're going to get through a couple of these like boom, 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 and we'll go from there. Here we go. Dr. Schmitz, here's a statement. Myth versus fact, COVID and sports. When it comes to sport, universal access to testing is strongly preferred. What's your take on that, myth or fact? That's a fact. I think that when we bring these athletes together in close quarters, if we don't know their disease status, if we don't know if they're infecting other people, then that's a setup for trouble. I agree. Wonderful. Dr. Tokus, Smith or fact, here's a statement. Plenty of resources. Can I disagree with the last uh, one? Yeah, please go right ahead. Hey, what's your so take on I, that one? So, so I, 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 you guys are right, of course, but that assumes that you've got the resources necessary, that right? True. So, so we're testing. When you come to phase two in hockey and professional hockey, you get tested on day one, three, five, seven. And then, and after that, then you can sort of enter into the protocol. High school sports, you're going to have every every other day and you're going to test them two three times a week so while you know universal testing is available and, and quote unquote required that requires a i can just tell you it is an unbelievably challenging undertaking it is not going to happen it's a myth that it's possible it's an ideal so i'll agree with you Certainly. guys there but in terms of the feasibility especially beyond not even i'm even talking about the high school and college level it, it's 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 impossible well, thank you for, for saying that. And you're actually talking about the uh, inequities that are certainly have been exposed in the system. It's not equal. I agree with you on that one. Here we go. Here's a statement. Dr. Tokish, myth or fact, plenty of resources exist to keep kids active while they're at home, physically active. Myth or fact? Oh, that's a myth in my own house, and it's a myth everywhere else, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, he said the resources, not whether or not your kids oh, use well, those resources. That's a, uh, good point. <laughs> I mean, it, it, you know, it's tricky, right? It's, it's it, you know, one of the best things about uh, I can't stand the video games that my own kids play, but it's kept them pretty safe. They're, they're happy to go upstairs, and I think about it and go, gosh. But you can't just tell them, hey, go out and run and do push-ups. I mean, they're, they're you know, mine are 15. And so, fortunately, we've got some golfers in the house. So they'll go out and swing the clubs a little bit, but, but I, I think that is incredibly challenging as, and Matt can speak better to this because he's got younger kids at home than I do, but it's, it's tough to keep kids engaged and physically active. Well, I agree with you. We have to try to somehow keep a schedule, but it's tough. I think about it myself, but uh, you know, this is the great part where we can be creative and certainly provide that opportunity. Here we go. Myth or fact, we'll do a couple more, more of these. Here we go. Dr. Schmitz competitions with spectators should not be allowed until we have the virus under control. What's your take on that? Uh, that I would say that's partially a fact. I think that we can try and limit crowds or try in, in trying to keep things safe, but not, not pre COVID. You're not going to have stadiums with a hundred thousand people in Tuscaloosa cheering on football games. 
Uh, I think we can do some smaller crowds, uh, but, and that's going to differ between professional versus youth leagues. Like, I think that you can have socially distanced youth leagues where the parents are standing six feet away from them. That's, that's relatively easy to do, but that's much more difficult in the professional level. All right. Thank you. Here we go, Dr. Tokas. I like this statement. Here we go. Athletes who are currently dealing with a loss of, loss of sport may be experiencing sadness, mood swings, or lack of initiative, myth or fact. Yeah, I think that's a fact. I think you, you talk to any young competitive athlete and they value sport over limb. They value sport over life. Uh, um, anybody that's that, you know, you, I sometimes wonder if these 18 to 25 year olds are even uh, sane enough to consent because they will give up anything for this stuff. And so I think that is, and, and so we, as now that we're older, right, we look at this and we say, well, you know, we kind of laugh about it. But the truth is, is that I think that, that that perspective is absolutely legitimate. It was mine at 20. And so I sometimes tell my own son, who's got this attitude a bit, I say, look, you're, you know, I've been 20, you haven't been 50. And he says, yeah, but I'm still 20 and it's still legitimate for me to be 20. He's, he's got a really good point. The 20-year-old athlete who, who lives for sports, and I'm not talking about the dads and moms that are pushing them out there, but that young athlete who is, who you, you have to pull them off the field every day, that is as much a part of their mental well-being as anything else. And so I think we, our, our, our approach to this cannot be, well, sports are for fun, and I'm sorry, you're just going to have to suck it up for a while and learn how to read a book. Those kids need it. And it's important for us as medical professionals and physicians and parents to be able to help supply those outlets. It's critical. I, I agree 100%. We have to make sure our kids are well taken care of and, and, and really uh, allow them to continue to be unique and support them along the way. Thank you. We'll do one more of these. Here we go, Dr. Schmitz. I like this one. This should be an easy one. I like this one. Here we go. Here's a statement. Maintaining healthy environments will be critical when sports return, including cleaning and disinfecting, frequently touch surfaces on the court, field, or play surface at least daily, and between uses as much as possible. Disinfecting, sanitization, myth or fact. That's absolutely a fact. We've, I mean, we've shown, they've already shown that decreasing the transmission is, is reliance on people's uh, being vigilant in those very things. And so I think that's going to be priority number one when sports come back. Wonderful. There you guys have myth versus facts. So we got about five minutes left. This has been just a fantastic discussion with Dr. Tokish and Dr. Schmitz talking COVID and sports and the impact, the implications that we're dealing with, not only just short term, but also long term. So I said at the beginning, I called it the chief complaint. That's when somebody comes into it again, the question of the hour that we've been talking about, what does sports look like right now in the COVID the COVID era. But at the end of the day, when people come and see us in our office, we call it the assessment and plan. That's when we, of course, give somebody a diagnosis, a treatment plan, and most importantly, a follow-up. I'm going to start with you, Dr. Tokish. Give us a few take-home points today. People have been listening to this, to this episode, hopefully inspired, ready to make change, talk to their doctors more, talk to their children more, just be fans of sports in this thing. And, but give us a few take-home points. What are some things that people should take from today to understand about the impact of COVID in sports? Yeah, I would say number one is patience. Uh, we are still in our in a in a very um, beginning level of understanding of this disease. Uh, it's going to um, evolve, and so I would say that uh, from that standpoint, patience. From the standpoint of the young athlete, I would say don't fail to prepare. 
while, while you're sidelined, you know, doesn't mean that you can't work on your game in other ways. So if you're a basketball player, there is plenty of ball handling drills out there for you to do. There is plenty of weight room work and plyometrics that you can do. Don't come back to sport now when it finally comes back and you've taken four months off and now you're a step behind because there's other people out there competing. So be prepared, be patient, and, uh, and be flexible. Wonderful. Well, thank you, Dr. Tokish. Dr. Schmitz, give us a few final thoughts on your, from your end on, again, the impact of COVID in sports, something for people to take away from today's show. Sure. I'll, I'll echo, echo what Dr. Tokish said. The plan on, on June 24th is not going to be the plan on July 24th. It's not going to be the plan in August. This is going to continue to evolve. We need to learn from mistakes that we've made, what we've done well, and adapt. Uh, number two, I'd say remind your athletes that exercise is healthy. They should be getting out and they should be doing something more than just playing video games, whether it's just going for a family walk, which we've done multiple times down here in the Schmitz household, trying to get the kids up and active. And then for, your, for, the, for the folks out there that have adolescent athletes at home, talk to them, figure out what they're going through, because there probably is some, some desperation or some sadness around the situation. They're not at school. They're not interacting with their friends on a regular basis. Uh, and that can lead to some frustrations that they may not be uh, showing you. So talk to your young athletes and figure out what they're going through and, and, and help them know that there is a way ahead. Wonderful. Thank you. And my final thoughts are this, you know, it's in its totality, you know, sports brings people together from all walks of life. Typically in the non-COVID era, we would have millions of people gathering in thousands of locations across this country, week in and week out, celebrating the competitive spirit. But the reality is that we're still mired in this pandemic. We have to take the precautions that are there. There's a way to be safe and a way to be sure that our health is insured at the end of the day. We have a society has chosen to open up to sports. But again, we have to accept those risks that are out there and be flexible based on the outcomes that we see. But again, we still want to live life to the fullest. But again, that is still the nature of the effect of COVID on sports. So I want to thank my guests today. It has been awesome. I'm so glad you guys were able to come on and everything, just having good fun. I want to thank my guests. Again, they are fierce. I think you guys need to check them out there at the top of the game of Mason Orthopedic Doctors, Dr. Matthew R. Schmitz, MD, FAAOS, FAOA, FAP. Check him out. Dr. Dr. Matt Schmitz, his, follow him on Twitter at RugbyMD. He's also on Facebook at Schmitz Hip Surgery. Dr. John M. Tokish, MD team physician, Arizona Coyotes, Mayo Clinic, Arizona. I mean, these gentlemen are passionate about sports, but they're also passionate about health. That's the most important thing. So it's just been awesome having you guys both on today. So I want to thank you both for coming on. So you guys have been listening, listening here, listening live here on Facebook. This episode is written by Mark D. Gomez, MD, writer, also Tiffany E.R. Gomez, producer is Tiffany E.R. Gomez. Music is by the wonderful Mr. Havis, copyright 2020 by MDG Wellness, all rights reserved. Hey, everybody, I'm taking some time off at the end of this season three. So I want to just thank everybody out there. But again, even though I'm taking time off, I will still be posting blogs, health content, and amazing family selfies. Hey, I want to thank all my guests that have been on season three from Tear Health to Dr. G from the bottom of my heart. Most importantly, I want to thank, the, thank you guys out there, the listeners, people that share the show. Again, share the show. Trust in one another. There's so many things that we can do about important about raising somebody's health. Again, this show's all about building trust and delivering truth. Tell those people that you love, you love them. Keep this health journey going. And again, try, true, try to truly strive to be the best that you can be. This is Dr. G. Peace out, everybody. Thanks, Dr. Schmitz. Thank you, Dr. Tokish. Have a great day, guys. Peace out, everybody.